I'm Chara Santilli. I was born with ambition. My parents were entrepreneurs and I pushed myself to be high school valedictorian, class president, most artistic, and most likely to succeed. The summer I turned 19, we celebrated my dad's 50th birthday with a hot air balloon ride. A crash landing left him with a broken neck, me with a broken heart, and my mom coping through alcohol. My relentless ambition helped me become a successful entrepreneur, yet my own private paralysis and overachiever addiction ruled me. I finally ventured on a quest for my best life. I found the path of my inner peace, how to stay on it and how to show the way for others. Now it's your turn. Ready to take that load off your shoulders? Join me so you can cherish your life. Today is a thrilling life opportunity for me. I have with us Dr. Eben Alexander. He is a New York Times bestselling author. He wrote the book, Proof of Heaven, um, Map of Heaven, and Living in a Mindful Universe that I just um, co-authored with uh, Karen Newell that I just held up and showed the camera if you're watching this. But um, it was my pleasure to meet Dr. Alexander about a month and a half ago at a local event where a girlfriend invited me to go hear him speak. She'd been following him for years and said, oh my gosh, he's on the docket. Let's go. You, you've got to hear him speak. I know you're going to love this. So my introduction was just showing up and hearing him talk about his story. And it was mind-blowing and such a wonderful experience that when I went and bought all his books and went up for the book signing, I said, do you do podcast interviews? And I'm so honored that he accepted and is here with me today. So thank you, first of all. Thank you, well, Dr. Alexander. Well, cheers. So my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on. I loved meeting you out in California a few weeks ago. And it's great that we get a chance to talk now. Thank you. So Dr. Alexander was an academic neurosurgeon for over 25 years, including 15 years at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, Children's Hospital, and Harvard Medical School in Boston. In 2008, he experienced a transcendental near-death experience during a week-long coma from an inexplicable brain infection that completely transformed his worldview. And we're going to talk about that today. His his view and his way of scientific thinking and, and perspective before as well as, as after because it completely changed his life and his worldview and what he is doing now. He is a pioneering scientist and a modern thought leader in the emerging science that acknowledges the primacy of consciousness in the universe and where it actually roots from and exists. Uh, which I think is just fascinating as I've uh, listened to his books in the recent weeks. He's the author, as I mentioned, New York Times number one bestseller, Proof of Heaven, The Map of Heaven and Living in Mindful Universe. And um, the, I mean, as I'm reading your books and seeing things online, and I, it is truly a privilege because I'm like, wow, the people who have interviewed you, the TV shows you've been on, um, it, experiencing time with uh, with the Dalai Lama and uh, Larry King and all of this, it's just phenomenal. And I am thrilled 
to have this opportunity to introduce you to my audience because I think that your message, first of all, your story is phenomenal and uh, re remarkable. And your what you're, the message that you're sharing now, I think we can all benefit from. And it certainly has a lot to do with living a better life and enjoying the time that we're here. So I really can't thank you enough. And um, I, I open it up to you to share what you'd like about your journey and your experience. I think the best thing to do is just start with a, a brief uh, kind of uh, recounting of my experience, just so people kind of get it in context. I'm sure there are people out there who haven't read Proof of Heaven, haven't seen my talks online. <clears throat> So important to point out, I was 54 years old, uh, had spent my life honing a very conventional scientific worldview. Um, and that all of that story is told in Proof of Heaven in the sequel, Living in a Mindful Universe. Uh, but the reality is uh, the scientific uh, community takes my story very seriously. And that's really the most important thing for people to get, is my biggest supporting community is actually a community of doctors and scientists who study consciousness. Uh, they fully get kind of the impact and power of my story. And it is especially important to point out, there's a medical case report that was written by three doctors not involved in my care, but fascinated by my miraculous recovery. Uh, that appeared in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases in September 2018. And that case report makes two very powerful uh, kind of uh, statements, conclusions about my medical records. So the first is that my brain was far too damaged to have any kind of, of significant dream or hallucination. I mean, those parts of my brain were, were not working anymore. That's what the medical records showed so clearly. The um, neurologic exam, CT and MRI scans, lab values, etc., cetera, uh, made it clear that that brain could not have mustered any uh, any but the most primitive of conscious experiences, and yet I had the most profound, robust, meaningful, detailed, uh, transformational set of experiences in my whole life, all when my brain was offline. That's probably one of the most important things for people to get, uh, is that, and that case report makes that crystal clear. And in fact, the other major point they make is how in the world do you explain how I am today, you know, 69 years old, uh, in very good health, how did that happen? when I spent a week in coma due to something that absolutely should have killed me, according to my doctors. Uh, and again, the answer to that question, which was actually put out by the peer-reviewed scientific editors of the journal to those authors, um, they said, this case is absurd. How do you explain it? And um, they basically said, because he had a near-death experience, that's what allowed for this phenomenal, unprecedented recovery. And they knew of other cases of near-death experiences where that was the case. So uh, that's the, the kind of preface to all this. Uh, another important thing to point out is that I was amnesic. It's an unusual feature of near-death experiences, um, but I didn't remember anything of Eben Alexander's life. And I, I know there have been occasional other cases where people went in uh, and had this com kind of complete deletion of memories. But mine was unusual, and I think it was there to really show me a lot about the nature of the mind-brain connection, the nature of conscious awareness, the nature of memory itself. And in fact, in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, we cover why the modern scientific evidence is that uh, memories are not even stored in the brain. Uh, and of course, that's one of the biggest nails in the coffin of, of scientific materialism. 
you know, presenting the brain creates consciousness. And that's not the case. But now I'd like to dive into the experience that I, I went through because that was what was so incredibly transformational and became even more so as I learned more and more about just how damaged my brain had been while all this was occurring for me in the, those kind of spiritual realms. Now it started in what I call the earthworm's eye view, a very primitive course unresponsive realm like being in dirty jello, being underground. I had no body awareness during any part of any of this journey. Um, and in that initial phase, uh, it was like, you know, I could uh, sense things around me, uh, feeling of blood, uh, blood vessels, roots, what have you. But it was it's very dark and murky, a pounding, monotonous sound. I mean, it wasn't a very pleasant early environment. Uh, and in fact, in my initial thinking, I thought that was the best consciousness my brain could muster while it was soaking in pus and being overrun by this incredibly uh, lethal uh, infection. Uh, I have had other thoughts about that uh, more recently, about that early earthworm I view. But the good news is it didn't last forever. If that had been the only part of my NDE and I'd come back to this world, I would have had a hellish or distressing NDE, which is maybe 4 or 5% of all NDE reports are in that category. But no, and like, like the 95% plus, I went further. And I think that's the key is the hellish NDEs to me are really just incomplete or involve a, a life review where you've been too busy handing out pain and suffering to others. And because of the life review, you receive a lot of what you dished out to the world uh, as part, kind of a course correction as a teacher help us learn, you know, to live the golden rule. That's basically what the life review is. Um, so at any rate, back to my experience, uh, I was in that uh, murky kind of uh, earthworm eye view, and then there came a, a perfect white light with a fine musical melody, and it came towards me slowly rotating as it spun up out of the distance, and it opened up like a rip in the fabric of that ugly earthworm eye view realm, and led up like a portal into this brilliant ultra real gateway valley. Uh, and that gateway valley was uh, uh, really something beyond description. This is one of the biggest problems people have. You've often heard, well, these experiences are ineffable. They're indescribable. Our language is not good for describing them. Part of the reason for that is you're completely outside of space and time in that realm. I mean, think about what people are telling you with the life reviews, birth, death, everything in between. It's all happening at once, but in a, a realm of causality that's outside of the time flow of our earth time. And that's a very important thing to get, because if you don't realize that that time flow is very, very different and uh, in many ways much more efficient, uh, then you're going to get very confused about after-death communications, reincarnation, and so many of the other pieces of non-local consciousness that prove the reality of this bigger vision of the human spirit and of our connectedness. So in that gateway valley, uh, I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly way. There were millions of other butterflies looping and spiraling in vast formations, colors beyond the rainbow, uh, and uh, below us was this absolutely gorgeous meadow. It was kind of like Plato's world of ideals, but for the individual soul. It was a world of perfection. There was no sign of any death or decay. I remember uh, buds, blossoms, flowers, all this incredibly rich dynamic uh, 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 blossoming going on. Uh, all around me, all through this meadow and in the forest surrounding it. There were these absolutely gorgeous sparkling waterfalls into crystal blue pools. I mean, it was really a beautiful and magical uh, land that had many Earth-like features, but in so many ways they were ideals, perfections, 
uh, but then also rich spiritual features. For example, I could see thousands of beings in the meadow below all dancing, all this joy and merriment uh, that was being fueled because up above were these swooping orbs of angelic uh, choirs that uh, were emanating uh, those chants and anthems and hymns that would just thunder through my awareness. Um, and I, I remember uh, the most beautiful part about it was I didn't witness all this on my own. There was a, a lovely young woman beside me on the butterfly wing. And of course, those who've read Proof of Heaven or heard me talk will know exactly who I'm talking about, that spiritual guide who was so important to me. And her message to me was delivered telepathically. And she never had to say a word. But when I, as we were there together, her mind melded into my, my knowing. Uh, and her message to me, I think, was the central message I was to bring back to this world. And that is, you are deeply loved and cherished forever. You have nothing to fear. You are deeply cared for. And of course, uh, the other uh, part of her message to me was you can do no wrong. I wish I'd explained that much better in the book Proof of Heaven, because I think many people, when they hit that in the book, they haven't sufficiently understood the kind of magical, loving, uh, uh, compassionate nature of that environment. And so they, they kind of miss what I'm talking about with you can do no wrong. But the, the deeper message is that in that realm of pure love and the unconditional love of that divine God force, that's what so many near-death experiencers have come back to realize uh, is so important, is that God force. And more than 90% of near-death experiencers going back thousands of years, whatever the belief systems, whatever the religions that gave rise to them, more than 90% of them come away after the experience believing in an infinitely loving, personal uh, uh, you know, deity, a force uh, that is there at the core of the universe. I saw it as the very source of our conscious awareness. Now, uh, for me, witnessing all that in this gateway valley uh, with that beautiful girl on the butterfly wing is one thing. Uh, and it may sound foreign to people, and yet thousands of people wrote to me after they read Proof of Heaven uh, and have told me about how it reminded them of something they had experienced. Uh, that's material that we cover a lot in the second book, Map of Heaven, where we talk a lot about these other experiences, just to make the point that they're very common. Uh, probably at least 5% of, of people in the modern world uh, have had a profound near-death experience, and that's why they are talked about. And that was the population I tapped into when Proof of Heaven came out. And so many people were grateful that I had shared something that they often said they'd never shared with anybody before. And so to open that door was obviously very important. Now, it turns out, though, that uh, the Gateway Valley was just a stepping stone on the way to my ultimate uh, destination. I remember uh, the soft summer breeze that blew through while I was on that butterfly wing. And that soft summer breeze was my very powerful reminder of the infinite loving force of that God that was all through every bit of this scene. Given my amnesia, the concepts of God, any religious ideas, etc., had been deleted from my memories. And that was a very important step. But now I was witnessing with this breeze that I call the divine wind or the breath of God. That was the emergence of that infinitely loving God force into my memory and my knowing. And that's when I started realizing just how grand that force was. And I witnessed all of that lowest uh, uh, kind of material realm, you know, this realm where we live and, uh, you know, earth time and space, our four-dimensional space time, all of that collapsing down, 
all of that uh, deep time, a different ordering of causality in that spiritual realm of the Gateway Valley, uh, all of that collapsing down. Uh, and then I was ascending through yet another light portal. This one, again, was uh, originated in music, vibration, frequency, sound, things that we remember as music, even though in those realms you're not hearing with the ears, you're not seeing with the eyes, your modes of knowing. Uh, it's knowing through identification, through becoming huge swathes of the scene. Uh, and that is another reason why these things are so ineffable, impossible to explain, because our modes of information acquisition are far richer and more powerful than anything we ever experience when we're kind of in our uh, material bodies. But that's where meditation, centering prayer can be such a gift for anyone and everyone who learn, wants to learn more about this. That's something I've been doing uh, you know, for the last 15 years or so since my experience is deep meditation using sacred acoustics, binaural brainwave entrainment, what have you. We can talk about all that later. But in the midst of my journey, what I saw was these angelic choirs provided yet another portal up and out of the Gateway Valley. Uh, and even all of that collapsed down uh, to this complex oversphere as I entered what I call the core. The core was infinite inky blackness, but filled to overflowing with that divine, unconditional love of the creator for the creation of that God force. Uh, and to bathe in that is something that I cannot put into words but uh, so many other experiencers know exactly what I'm talking about. That beautiful, loving presence uh, in that realm is something that you never, ever leave behind once you've experienced it. Now, in the core realm, I was told, not in words, in pure conceptual flow, you're not here to stay. We'll teach you many things. You'll be going back. Uh, and the many things are all the thousands of hours I've put into uh, talks about this. If you go on YouTube, etc., there's a tremendous amount of information, and no one interview can uh, can begin to uh, capture all of it. But that's why I uh, have so joyously gone out to the world to help share this story uh, in any way possible to help people come to this deeper understanding. Now it turns out though that in that core realm, I would just tumble back down spontaneously to that earthworm eye view. I had no idea why or how the first time it happened, but the good news is I knew that by remembering the musical notes of the melody, those musical notes could easily come into my awareness. And by going over them in my mind, it conjured up that beautiful light portal that led up into the Gateway Valley again. And I was always welcomed there by that beautiful young woman on the butterfly wing, sparkling blue eyes, high forehead, high cheekbones, uh, and her lovely message to me, you are deeply loved and cherished forever. You have nothing to fear. Uh, and then witnessing all that joy and beauty and the uh, merriment and dancing and festivities going on in that Gateway Valley, uh, and then yet again, the angelic choirs would promote me to higher and higher levels, uh, back to the core realm for more in the way of these lessons. Now, there came a time when I could no longer conjure up that melody that took me up into the Gateway Valley. And to say I was sad at that moment would be an understatement, but I also knew I could trust that I would be taken care of. And it was after that point that what I realized was even though I was now stuck in these low murky realms like that earth or my view, uh, they were now filled. There were thousands of beings going off into the distance. Heads bowed, many were holding handle, candles, some with arms up like that. And this murmuring energy coming from them was very comforting. And that was kind of surprising because so far every pass through that lowly uh, earth or my view, um, 
have been fairly similar and fairly uh, kind of monotonous and uh, a place that I really wanted to move away from and up into that uh, beautiful spiritual realm. But now it was much more comforting. And in fact, that beautiful sense of a spiritual home that I had first experienced in the Gateway Valley and in the core, now I was experiencing again from all these beings. And what I called that when I came back to this world was it was the power of prayer. Even though I didn't understand their murmuring energy or any of the language, it was giving me this beautiful comfort and it was guiding me back to this world. Now, after that, the last thing that happened on this spiritual journey was my witnessing of six faces that I saw. And I describe all this in detail in Proof of Heaven and in a lot of my other talks. But those six faces were very important. Five of them were people who were physically present in the ICU room the last 24 hours that I was in coma. So they made it very easy for me to realize that the vast majority of my coma experience happened earlier than that. Happened between days one and four, actually, when you look at the timing. And I write all that out in Proof of Heaven, Living in a Mindful Universe, explain why the timing is important and how that figures into it. Part of that had to do with the fact that one of the faces I saw was not somebody who was physically present. Uh, she channeled to me. She was a friend who I'd first met in freshman English class in college in 1972. Then we lost track of each other. Then she became a close friend again through my former spouse's teaching activities in Raleigh. Uh, they were taught together. And so Susan Wrenches came back into my life at that time and remained good friends with my former spouse. And in fact, when I was deep in coma, it was a family friend, Sylvia White, who was also present at the ICU bedside who remembered Susan had done this work in channeling with coma patients and why not uh, invoke her help to help me come back to this world. And so uh, my former spouse and Sylvia contacted Susan, told her about my plight, and then on Thursday and Friday nights, nights four and five of my coma, Susan channeled to me. And I remembered those faces, Susan and the other five who were physically there, uh, as brilliantly right now as if they had just been seen by me in that coma this morning. That's how bright the memory is. But when I first saw them in that coma, the amnesia was still active. So I had no idea who they were. And uh, that's why it was so important. And then in the first day or two after I came back, I said, well, I saw this person, this person, this person, you all were here, but I also saw Susan Wrenches. Where's she? And they said, well, she wasn't physically here. She channeled to you. Now, of course, before my coma as a materialist neuroscientist, I would have scoffed at the idea of channeling, but I had just witnessed it with my own soul and spirit perfectly. Susan was there as much as anyone else. So, of course, I knew in that realm of spatial separation or temporal separation is no big deal because that is a realm of eternity. It is a realm that's completely outside of our ticking earth clock. Uh, and that is an important concept, deep time or meta time uh, of those realms to more fully understand these experiences. Now, it turns out, let's get, I'm going to get to the end of your question here finally. Um, and that is in coming back to this world, those faces I saw, the last of those faces was of a 10-year-old boy. It was my son, Bond. And I did not recognize him at the time. My amnesia was still very much in force. But he was pleading with me. It was day seven of coma, Sunday morning. The doctors estimated I'd gone from 10% chance of survival 
early in the week down to 2% chance of survival late in the week after being on three powerful intravenous antibiotics on a ventilator the entire week, but showing no signs of neurologic improvement. That's when the doctors recommended it was time to stop the ventilator, stop the antibiotics, let nature take its course. And they had protected Bond from the worst news during that week. But when he overheard that, he realized something was very much amiss. Uh, and he went running down the highway into Major Bay 10, uh, pulled open my eyelids that had been taped shut. I was lying there on my ventilator, one eye looking over there, one eye looking over there, neither pupil working. Uh, and I'm sure uh, anyone with medical training in your audience knows that's a horrible sight. Uh, and he was pleading with me, Daddy, you're going to be okay. Daddy, you're going to be okay. And I know I did not see him with my eyes. I did not hear him with my ears. But the message got through deep in that spiritual realm. I knew his pleading. You know, Daddy, you're going to be okay. I didn't understand the words, but I could understand he was another soul that was imploring my presence, had to have me there with him. And that's what was driving me because throughout this whole adventure, I thought it can continue, it can cease, it doesn't matter. Now I realized it did matter and that there was another soul out there who was very dependent on me for something. And I didn't know what that something was yet, but I knew I had to get back to him. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But somehow I was able to kind of muster my way back through the navigation of my higher soul and start coming back to this world. And when I did, my brain was still so savaged by the infection that I didn't even recognize my mother, my sisters, my sons at the bedside. I had no idea who these beings were. All I knew was where I had just been, this extraordinary spiritual journey. Uh, and it turns out I was kind of in and out of a, a paranoid, delusional, psychotic nightmare for the first 36 hours after awakening from coma and having the breathing tube taken out. Uh, I wasn't out of the woods yet. I was still in and out of crazy. But the interesting thing is the memories from the deep coma experience, the rich spiritual journey, were sharp and clear. In fact, they're clear today as if the whole thing happened yesterday. The memories of that psychotic nightmare in the 36 hours after coming out of coma, when I was still very much affected by the meningitis, but recovering, uh, those memories disappeared within a week or two. So I'm glad I was writing a lot of it down by the time I got home uh, to have all of that recorded. Uh, and it turns out that over two months, all my memories came back and then some. That's kind of hard to explain to people. And I talk about it a bit in Living the Mindful Universe. but based on deep conversations with close family and friends about distant early events in my life, the conversations after coma uh, indicated a more complete memory of events than the co similar conversations before coma. Uh, and again, the whole thing is getting down to memory and consciousness themselves are not created within the brain alone. There's much more going on outside of the physical universe that necessitates an understanding of that mental realm. And with the advent, with the giving of the Nobel Prize in Physics in 2022 for entanglement, that is the beginning of our scientific community finally rejecting this hardcore materialism that they've worshipped for so many centuries and realize that there's much more going on here. This mental layer of the universe is very real and we are interconnected through it. When we die, when we're reincarnated, these are all things that reference into that information field. Uh, and modern science is just beginning to understand how powerful and intriguing that uh, complex uh, world of the quantum hologram or of all potential experience actually is. But now that we realize that near-death experiences 
have a strong basis in reality and that all those cases of past life memories in children suggestive of reincarnation tell you that it doesn't matter whether you believe in reincarnation or not the scientific evidence is very strong that it occurs and that uh, we've all had past life experiences but we forget them it's the doctors who examine those cases ian stevenson and jim tucker at uva division of perceptual studies will tell you you have to harvest these memories before age five or six because all of us tend to lose those memories as we get older but they can be recovered through the various techniques of transpersonal psychology hypnotic regression meditation what have you these are all ways of trying to recover past life memories and make better sense of this life by acknowledging that we've lived before. And uh, I've spent 15 years since my coma working with scientists around the world uh, to come into a better explanation of near-death experiences, after-death communications, the reality of the eternity of soul and of our interconnectedness of soul and mind through this world of spirit in a very scientifically uh, valid mode of study. For anybody who's scratching their heads or feels like any of this is too remarkable to believe, I, I implore you <laughs> to, um, to check out his books because uh, he goes into all of the scientific research and, and proof around all of these things that is, is just quite remarkable and we obviously don't have time to delve into today, but it's in the books. And I know... Dr. Alexander is a highly renowned and respected. And bef uh, I, before this, I know you were one of those naysayers. You were you were a person who was a, a skeptic of of many of these things. You, if someone told you that you would be doing all this right now and believe this all right now, you know, would would you have thought that they were crazy uh, pre coma? Oh, pre coma, I probably I probably would have thought that uh, they didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah. But in looking back on it all, the whole thing makes perfect sense, and it makes perfect sense that I kind of came into this knowing through that incredibly, uh, you know, how do you ever duplicate that a week in coma due to a severe case of gram negative bacterial meningoencephalitis that that disables all lobes of your brain and your brainstem, and then you end up coming back from it all. How, you know, it is a miracle of rare device. And this is why I'm so interested in sharing the story. And of course, it has tremendous implications for each and every one of us if we're interested in coming into healing and wholeness in our own lives. Because that's really what this is all about, mm -hmm. is kind of getting honest with yourself and following your kind of soul journey and your, your course of your life. But do it in an examined fashion, do it in a way that you're seeking understanding. You know, there's an, on the entrance to the temple of the Oracle of Apollo at Delphi, uh, there's the statement, know thyself. And I would say that is the directive for all of us, know thyself. And once you realize that your mind is really the mind of the universe, one that we're all sharing, that's when it starts becoming far more fascinating to explore within your mind because it ends up truly being the mind of the universe as we all discover sooner or later and that is what starts to then give us tremendous influence over the emerging events of our lives and a realization you know that hardships and challenges and difficulties and that includes things like illness and injury are really in many ways gifts that open us up to a much deeper understanding of ourselves and of our uh, sense of meaning and purpose 
and really of our relationship with the universe at large. So it's time to wake up behind the beyond the sleepy little ego mind that has all the little petty concerns of living these lives and start to really get into the much bigger territory of your lifetime and what it means to the universe at large and how you can come into wholeness and healing in this lifetime. Because I believe that uh, this kind of honesty and authenticity from the heart uh, that I'm inviting people to bring into their lives and engaging with the universe at large and with our fellow beings is really a key towards overcoming the toxicity and disease of the ego. Uh, the ego is right at the heart of addictions. You know, that little voice in our head is not who we are. So many people think the voice in my head, that's me. Well, it's not. It's your ego voice, and in so many ways, that's working against kind of your higher soul version of self. But this is where meditation is very important. Spend some time going within uh, and uh, meditation, uh, trying to ask the universe questions uh, uh, and seek specific answers to help you in coming to a sense of identity with the universe. And you'll see what I mean. And this is where having a powerful tool like sacred acoustics, spinal beat brainwave entrainment, uh, available at sacredacoustics.com can be such a powerful tool. That's what I've been using daily for more than uh, 11 years now uh, to return to my NDE and not just to recover memories, uh, but to engage and, and cultivate my relationships uh, with the various guides and angels of that realm and of that God force of that realm. So it has led to a tremendous amount of growth and understanding in my own life. And that's what I tried to share with others with these books and with all the presentations we do online, with the many courses we do, etc. Uh, trying to help people get up to speed with their, that they are much more than their little ego mind. But a, a best way of getting to that is through meditation and centering prayer. And I have been um, using the app myself in recent weeks, and I absolutely love it. Um, the ones I've uh, been using heart presence, inner peace and intuition, as well as the power nap. <laughs> Good. Um, so, so, um, cause I, I love me, I love me, my naps and, um, they really help to kind of reset me and, 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 um, probably a week doesn't go by. I don't take at least one. So both of those have been really wonderful. Um, I, for me, haven't had the, you know, amazing imagery and the the visuals and things that I some people talk about or that I've heard you talk about. And yet I know that that doesn't mean it's wrong. I'm doing anything wrong or or anything. It, it's benefiting me. I know from what you shared in uh, Living in a Mindful Universe, as well as Karen, how she too, at the beginning of meditation, um, it, it took a longer time over time to really kind of free up and get into these other possibilities. And right. some people may never experience some of those uh, almost fantasy-like, you know, what, what we, we, we think is, what we hope is possible during meditation. But I guess I want to just point out that from everything I've come to learn, that's really not the point. The point is to just do our best to quiet our minds as much as we can, to quiet those, that inner I'll refer to it as sabotaging voices, the inner, the the fear side of our brain too, that just comes on gear and online and is just in overdrive to protect us to an un, you know, unreasonable extremes that prevent us from living our fullest potential and fullest right. joy. And I love what you wrote in the book 
There'll be a link to this in the show notes, by the way, the sacred acoustics that he was just talking about and that I have been using myself recently. I'll put that in the show notes. I love what you said in this, the living in mindful universe, rather than waiting for a life review at the end of life, what if we could enact a daily or weekly review? And you went on to say a little bit later in the same section though, focus on modifying one's own perspective and behavior is vital, not dwelling on how the actions of others should change. And I think that that is all so much in alignment with the, how, what I believe and what I, um, teach and coach on is just that, uh, constant, putting constant effort in growth and understanding, increasing our compassion compassion, increasing our capacity for love and, but all through what we can control, which is truly just ourselves. Because mm-hmm. I think we we way too often try to control others, and um, and put so much focus and energy on that when really, it's all through ourselves is really the only thing we have true control over. And then there is a wonderful trickle effect though that you can see once you do that and do that consistently. So anything to add with that? But that that I, I just loved that section. It really got my attention. Well, I would just uh, remind people that uh, if you go to sacredacoustics.com and also on the app, the Sacred Acoustics app on the iPhone, um, you'll find there are some instructional videos. There's a little camera icon at the bottom, and that takes you to the instructional videos in the app, uh, and also you can find them on the sacredacoustics.com webpage. But they're very helpful uh, at telling people what steps, what very specific steps will help them use sacred acoustics to get to certain goals. Like some people just want to relax or, you know, or get rid of anxiety. Uh, there's actually a very good uh, uh, peer-reviewed pilot study supporting sacred acoustics and treatment of anxiety in a very busy Manhattan psychiatric practice. It was published by Dr. Anna Usim, Y-U-S-I-M, in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease in February of 2020. I highly recommend that. She found that over two weeks, there was a 26% reduction in anxiety symptoms in her patient population who would listen to sacred acoustics tones versus only a 7% uh, reduction uh, in those patients who had had standard talk therapy. So the tones added a tremendous amount, uh, 26% versus 7% in terms of alleviating anxiety over a two-week period. It's pretty astonishing when you get down to it. And they found it was a, a... a, uh, a, a, a trait issue. So in other words, it wasn't just your moment-to-moment anxiety, but really kind of your, your state of awareness and being showed a much greater relaxation and, and relief of anxiety. Uh, so we know it can do that, but also people do uh, use sacred acoustics to connect with souls of departed loved ones, uh, you know, to treat bereavement uh, by connecting with their loved one of facilitating after-death communications. Um, There's so much more to all this. There's, uh, for example, shared death experiences are just like near-death experiences um, in quality, but they happen in perfectly healthy people. In Living the Mind for Universe, we talk a lot about shared death. And in fact, uh, our colleague, William Peters, who wrote a book called At Death's Door, uh, came out about three years ago. Uh, William Peters, if you go to uh, Google, Shared Crossing Project, you will find he is working with people out in Santa Barbara, California, 
uh, trying to enhance the possibility of people having profound shared death experiences when their loved ones leave this world. Now that is really putting uh, putting all this kind of uh, information to good use. Uh, when you see the kind of successes he's having, and over half of his participants uh, actually having very uh, meaningful and powerful episodes of connection with their loved ones who are in the process of transition or who have transitioned. Uh, so all of this leads to uh, some amazing kind of insights and abilities to better navigate this world when, once we realize we're spiritual beings in the spiritual universe and that it's not just all this mechanistic uh, kind of cold mechanical universe that materialist science tries to postulate and then tries to fit us into. There's much more going on here. That's why uh, I think this uh, kind of narrative and this understanding, this body of evidence uh, is so invigorating and refreshing for the world. Uh, I would highly recommend to your viewers uh, to get to the science of all this. Go to BigelowInstitute.org. Uh, there are 29 winning essays from the year 2021 written by experts uh, who had more than five years experience as scientists studying the afterlife. And in those 29 essays, you will find proof that the afterlife and reincarnation are absolutely real, no matter what you want to believe based on the scientific evidence. Uh, read that first place winning essay at BigelowInstitute.org by Jeffrey Mishlob, and you'll see exactly what I mean. Um, and then also I would uh, encourage people uh, to look at the websites of groups, scientific groups that I work with, scientificandmedical.net, um, galileocommission.org. Those are two of the main sites. But when you go there and start reading their manifestos, you'll realize how advanced the scientific world is in understanding non-materialist or post-materialist science. And we'll never go back because the evidence all leads in one direction. And it does not lead back to the simplistic, bleak and paltry falsehood of materialist science that tries to pretend that we're separate from each other because we're not. We're all sharing that one mind, that one consciousness. And also that we're not bound together through the forces of love, kindness, compassion, mercy, and acceptance. These are some of the deepest lessons that come from this uh, study. And we realize that to truly become homo sapiens, that means wise, we need to reject our reductive materialist scientific underpinnings that are so false and to start to embrace uh, quantum-informed science of consciousness that really points to this unity of consciousness, how we're all in this together, and how the brain merely serves as a reducing valve or filter, or transceiver, to allow us to receive in any current of that primordial mind that we interpret as our own consciousness. But then when we die, we realize it's all interconnected with other consciousnesses, both those still living and those who have left the physical plane. So. Uh, this whole study of near-death experiences, after-death communications, etc., quantum physics, every bit of it adds up to a deeper and richer understanding of who we are and how interrelated we are and how we have the power to bring wholeness and healing into our lives uh, through living that force of love and kindness and compassion that NDEers are reporting uh, is the very basis of uh, existence. I told you at the beginning, it's just truly remarkable. And, um, and I am so grateful that this is the direction we're heading. I, I mean, it's, uh, it just feels like in recent handful of years, so much has opened up in the way of thinking. And for me too, I mean, I, I wasn't 
I just feel like every year that goes by, I'm learning more and more. And it's, you, you can't, you can't un- unsee, unlearn this. It, you, it's right. really hard to go back because then the more aware you are, the more you start noticing that really cannot be explained with the older ways of thinking. And I mean, even even the thought process of, of reincarnation and the fact that we could plan and come here with certain intentions to have certain things happen to us and our soul families and people we're with is really remarkable and and one level hard to accept and on another level like it makes things um there's a very strange paradox within it all i find and um i just but I, like i said i i this has just been such an honor to have you share your story and your time with us today and all those resources i hope that it starts opening or continues to open people's minds who may not have been introduced to this. My first introduction to NDEs was 10 years ago, the year, it'll be, be 10 years this uh, this winter, when my mother passed. And as she was coming to the end of her life, my coach directed me to read Anita Morjani's book, Good. Dying to Be Me. That was my yes. first introduction. And I it gave me so much peace it gave me peace to to because there was so much evidence in there that made me start to believe that maybe that this was possible and then Mm. more has continued since then and here i am sitting with you so um i and i know she's the uh one of the people with a quote on the back of your book i was happy to see so (laughs) there's just so much for people to to open your minds to and explore um, thank you so much. And I uh, I know y- you have a quote to share with us, one of your favorite quotes. Uh, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I have many favorite quotes, as people who've read my books will see. But the one I'd like to share today is from Werner Heisenberg. He uh, won the Nobel Prize in physics for some of his groundbreaking work in quantum physics back in the early 20th century. Uh, and he said, the first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will lead you towards atheism. But at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. And he said that because he knew what quantum physics was implying about the nature of mind and spirit. And it was that they're absolutely real and they're not dependent on matter. He fully grokked that, uh, you know, a century ago. Uh, And the rest of the scientific community is finally catching up with him today as we move into a world where the Nobel Prize Committee has awarded for entanglement, which is really the mental layer of the universe. That's the interconnecting field that they're talking about, uh, is this mental field. Um, And uh, so, you know, the rest of it is just going to be enjoy. It's very liberating to understand this deep and profound truth. And uh, it's a gift to all of us to work together to help people come into this uh, acknowledgement and to really bring that binding force of love into all that we do with, in, with ourselves and with our uh, fellow beings, with the world at large. We need to recover that sense of responsibility and love uh, and respect for the divine and sacred nature of all in this creation. 
And that's what I like to do by sharing my story that brings science and spirituality together and helps to unify the direction forward in the scientific community to one that is something that makes sense and follows the empirical data uh, and leads to transformation of all of consciousness and evolution of our understanding of ourselves. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you're enjoying my Cherish Your Life podcast. If this is supporting you in any way, please review, subscribe, and share it with friends and family. You can follow me on social media at Cherish Your Life, and my website is CherishYourLife.com. Yep, my name's unique. Here's an easy tip for you to pronounce and spell it. It's like the city, Paris, but with a CH. Special thanks to my dear friend, Paul Soyuljis, who enhanced and mixed the musical track. Little did we know back in college in the 90s, while my then boyfriend, now husband, and I listened to Paul riff on his guitar, that he'd be helping me decades later give a creative touch to something called a podcast.